and welcome to the Super Fun Time Podcast Thingy Hour, the sort of podcast, sort of YouTube show, where we discuss any and all topics in the world of nerd. I'm your host, Jordan, and I'm as always today, joined again by my good friends, Matt and Eric, and once again, our very special guest, Rob, is returning. Say hello, everybody. Hey. Hey, what's up? Uh, today is June 17th, 2020. Uh, last week, we had an interesting discussion about Majora's Mask, uh, being that it's now a 20-year-old game. Uh, so if you're a fan or just wanted some other perspectives or insight, be sure to go back and check out that episode if you missed it. Uh, today's topic is games that changed you, either how they influenced you personally or uh, how they changed your perception of gaming. Uh, to kick us off, um, when I was thinking about what my own picks would be, um, I realized I had taken completely for granted uh, that we were probably going to be talking about video games specifically, but I don't suppose it has to be that. Um, it could be like board games too, or I don't know, maybe even card games. Yeah, for sure. So like, I remember like, uh, like I learned to play chess from like a really young age, and like I... I've been playing video games for probably longer, but um, chess was like one of the first things that I, not necessarily obsessed over, but had in my mind like a goal of specifically getting better. Like playing NES games and stuff like that, it was like, I really liked them and they were fun and it was just like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna see if I can beat this, see how far I can get. But chess was like the first experience that I can remember of like there being a real competitive spirit and being like, oh, like these kids in my class know how to play and they're better than me. I want to be able to beat them. So I would like actually like practice and like play against my parents and stuff and try to improve. Yeah, I think that's pretty common, right? Like, I mean, in high school they had uh, like chess clubs. I think you were amongst a lot of people that really saw the brilliance in the game of chess and um, like I myself as well, when I was at a young age, my stepdad and I played chess quite a bit. Um, it sort of went back and forth, us beating each other. I never really excelled at it. Um, it is a very complicated game. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you in that, you know, chess was formidable in, you know, in some of those early years of sort of getting into like the board game. I, though chess isn't really a quote unquote board game, um, you know, sort of getting into some more of those that eventually like ended up leading to like a passion for um, card games and uh, board games as well. Yeah, chess is really hard. Like, I, I feel I like chess, uh, yeah, it's a lot harder than checkers, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like chess is just one of like a hundred things that I like was excited about and like felt like I was good at right away. And then when I started like facing actual competition, you know, that illusion disappeared and, uh, you know, I was immediately discouraged and, you know, never played again. Uh, no, that's cool. Chess is fun. Yeah, I guess, um, hmm, now, now I'm thrown for a loop. I don't know what, uh, I mean, I, I'm just going to stick with video games because I, I don't know, cribbage is pretty fun. I always enjoyed cribbage. Actually, euchre. Euchre in high school was like a big deal. I remember, yeah, I started off with, uh, I had a spare in grade 12 in like first period. And it seemed like half of grade 12 must have had that spare because, you know, there was always just a giant group of people gathered in the cafeteria. 
And uh, one of the staple activities was like playing Euchre. That was around the time I got into that. And I remember um, playing that game. I felt, I felt smarter. You know, I felt a little bit more strategic than other card games like, you know, Goldfish or Crazy Eights or, you know, different things like that. Um, I remember, yeah, I, I just felt a bit smarter, a bit more adult um, playing that. And then Cribbage as well. I felt similar. I learned that, you know, a few years earlier on vacation one time, my aunt Joan showed me how to play it. And then once I knew how to play that, it's like I could play a card game that the adults were interested in and it just made me feel smarter and stuff like that. Yeah, it's definitely more sophisticated than, yeah, Crazy Eights. I, in high school, we played a lot of Asshole. Did you ever play that? Oh, tons. That was yeah. the other major one for sure. But that's kind of like, I can't, man, what, is there strategy? There's a little bit of strategy so, to that game, right? It, it, technically, there's strategy, but I'm not sure that it really matters because basically it's just whoever had the better cards wins. <laughs> like, well, for the most part, yeah. There's almost no variance to that. Like, if you have aces, then... The worst thing with asshole was once you became the asshole, it was almost impossible to get out of that position. Right. Um, you know, because you got less cards or something. It's been a long time since I played. Well, you but give I, away your two best cards or that's whatever. That's right. Two presidents. Get the worst two. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So that's definitely a slippery slope game right there. For sure. Yeah, I played a lot of, um, like, I was also on the, the chess team in high school. Okay. And that's how, like, I spent a lot of my spares, honestly, was hanging out in the library. Sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I can remember, um, though, like, when I first started, I think I learned how to play when I was in, like, the second grade. And, um, yeah, I wasn't very good. But finally, I was, like, in the process of, of I really had the upper hand on somebody. And um, I wasn't expecting to beat them, but I was I was clearly going to take this game. And I remember he, like, started to be, like, on the verge of tears. And he started, like, trying to bribe me to let him win. Because apparently, like, the winner got, like, a certificate or something like that. And he's like, come on, like, I really want the certificate. <laughs> What like all all I can make you one. It's just a stupid piece of paper. I don't know. How much was he bribing you for? Oh, I don't even remember. You know what? That's the thing. I don't even think that he was offering me anything. It was though his whole argument was, "Come on, let me win." No. Okay. Yeah. He <laughs> was a jerk. Show me, show me some money, and then we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. That's I remember doing like stuff like that. Sorry, I interrupted you there, Eric. Oh no. I, same. Uh, I was just going to say, not only one, I remember other kids being like that. I remember in uh, grade 12, uh, I was in Reach for the Top, which is like a high school trivia competition. So uh, in grade 12, uh, we, we actually went to the provincials. Um, but so we're at the regional finals and facing off against this other team. And it was like pretty heated back and forth, intense. And uh, like we won by like one point and I remember one of the guys on the other team like crying and one of the guys on my team making fun of him, um, which, you know, it must have just been important to this guy. But anyway, and then I remember also, I mean, I'm sure I did it beyond grade one, but I remember in grade one, like I just, I don't know, I just thought I was so smart and that's what like, 
I didn't get a lot of positive feedback as a kid, but the one thing everybody said about me was that I was smart. So I, like that was like my whole identity. And I remember uh, there was like a test that was taken and it was like out of 10 or something. I mean, it was just so basic. And I think I got like nine out of 10. And the teacher was like reading, like she was reading off the people's names in order, like from best to worst. So all the 10 out of 10 people got to like, one at a time go like hang out in the other part of the class and like play together and stuff. And I was like, I remember sitting there not being one of those people and crying. And I remember the people over there making fun of me as I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nine, ooh, wow. Literally, yeah. Yikes. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of, uh, yeah, at Alton High School, there was this girl that I, I wasn't really friends with her, but I was, vaguely acquainted with and she was one of these like well uh, so I guess my time was a little bit before they calculated like GPA in terms of like like I guess a, a perfect GPA is four um, but we didn't quite do that so I'm not sure like what her like we still did like percentage averages so she was like a like pretty damn close to four I guess I don't know she was like a 97 average student or something like that and it just, it was so obnoxious how you would see her like get out of class or whatever. And she'd be like, oh, I only got 98% of that test. Uh, and we're all just like, we gotta bust our ass just to barely get by. But, uh -huh. but to kind of bring it more back on topic now, actually, now that I'm thinking about it again, high school and you mentioned crying again, back on the chess team. Um, so we had a, a, an A team and a B team. And um, I was, I remember I was leader of the B team and we went to the championship and just uh, like, it wasn't like a, like a huge thing. It was just sort of like the Hamilton regionals or something like that. And I think we won it, but because it was just the B team, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, but then they were like, okay, well, if you won that, then we'll, um, we'll slot you into the A team. And we went also to the Hamilton championship or something like that. And it's it's so happened that we had um oh god I can't even remember his name now, but um he was this Russian guy who was on our team, and at the time he was considered like like the like the best amateur chess player in Canada, or something like that. And he was he was on his way to getting like a grandmaster title, like wow. he was the real deal. But we went up. I don't remember what school it was that we went up against. But who, whoever was on their team, their lead player was like the number two player in Canada or something like that. And wow. it so happened that these guys were like really good friends. And so they didn't want to like compete directly. They didn't want like that to be the difference maker. So right off the bat, they just agreed to a draw. And it was like there were um, the tournament consisted of like five games uh one from like every player on the team so like every team was five players so it was up to like we had the number one guy and now all of a sudden it's up to the rest of the four of us and then on top of that one guy like didn't even make it he had a call in sick and so the rules were something like if you don't have a substitute then you automatically have to forfeit that game so we're like we're, we're automatically losing before we've even done anything so we called um from because I guess they, the other school was the host for the tournament. So we called back to our school 
and we were like desperately trying to get a hold of our substitute and i guess he was like in the middle of like science class or something like that this was really cool too because we got to get out of like classes for the day so uh, i guess he was still in class so we had to like drag him out and like pay for like his bus fare so that he could like jump on a city bus really quickly and, and zip over and we're waiting and waiting and like the the time limit is ticking down for like how long he's allowed to be there before we have to forfeit and stuff finally he gets in he's all like huffing and puffing and okay it's okay guys we can go we can go and he sits down and is defeated in 10 seconds <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like like you could see like the tears welling up and it was just like oh man i don't even i can't i can't even give this guy shit because there's no one person on the face of the planet who feels worse than he does right now so we just had to be like you tried your best man <laughs> thanks for coming out <laughs> i did not see it taking that turn it sounded like something out of Right. Yeah, I like the crowd cheering. <laughs> last ten seconds countdown. Oh man, I guess like you know, it's a good thing that you brought up sort of like board games and card games, uh, Jordan. I, I like that didn't even cross my mind, but I guess you know one of the most formative games. That's the second time I've used that word. It's my word of the day. Um, the one of the like most crucial games I feel for a lot of people, uh, probably of our, you know, persuasion gamers, is Magic, right? Um, how old were you? Because I'm not even going to ask, have you played it? Because the answer is yes. How old were you when you started playing Magic? So, you know, here's the thing. Actually, I, I haven't played Magic, but I have, <laughs> a, I have a pretty decently sized collection of cards, though. I really like collecting them. Yeah, the artwork's actually pretty neat on them. Like, I never got into it avidly, but, I mean, you know, everyone sat down and at least thrown out some mana, tapped mana, attacked with a creature, took some hits. Everyone's tried it, right? Um, there was a comic book store up the street for me when I was a teenager, and on Wednesdays, they had this, I don't know, I guess a lot of people played the same types of games, so they had shelves and shelves of kind of like what cigarettes used to look like behind on a gas station, but shelves and shelves of different um, you know, card games, dice games, etc. And no one was buying them and playing them. So on Wednesdays, you could go in for 10 bucks and they'd give you a starter deck of some type of game. And you'd end up, you know, playing it with a bunch of different people. And, you know, you learned about different games that way. It was pretty cool, actually. Um, a lot of them didn't take off because, yeah, the juggernauts like Magic, for instance, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, etc. just destroyed, right? Everyone was into those. They didn't have money for another card game. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I uh, I mean, I never got hardcore into Magic, definitely. Whenever whenever Pokemon cards came out, which I'm going to say, I don't know what yeah. exactly that is, but maybe around. Something like that. Like 98, yeah. Yeah, 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 the end of elementary school for me, for sure, like grade 7 or 8. So when I got into that, because I was already obsessed with Pokemon, which even the Pokemon video game I would put under games that changed me for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then the cards came out, and I was obsessed with that. You know, I got my starter pack with the shiny Machamp and and all that. And yeah, I had the same. And one. then from doing that, I started meeting people that played Magic, and yeah, I never got hardcore into it. I've definitely played the games. I have a friend who. Who you know I was friends with back then, and we collected 
different kinds of cards back then together and I still hang out with them now and he has an insanely huge collection of magic cards and uh, all I can say is that now from hanging out with him and you know learning his perspective on the game now is that like the it's a really interesting game in terms of the rules and how like how much you can read into like what the card says and like just how many different like phases there are to the game like how many different places you can interrupt something or yeah the game's really complex um but to me it's one of those hobbies like you can only have so many unless you're like super rich you can only have so many hobbies of like magic the gathering you know guitar cars paintball like they all cost a million dollars even video games yeah I think that's why I liked just collecting the cards just because I liked them because my understanding is if you wanted to like play uh, like you whenever the new set comes out everything that comes before it is like no good you've got it you've got to get the new cards I think it's five years uh, in tournaments in tournaments you can't use cards after they're like after that run that version or whatever is five years old I Okay. I mean, that's mostly like a marketing ploy, right? To get people to buy new cards. Also mixed with, if you had 20 years worth of awesome cards to pick from, you could have some really stacked decks, right? And people would probably have exactly the same decks because they would yeah, find- Plus like, I would say like the balance has to change too. Yeah. Over the course of 20 years and you have like something from the first generation which is going to be like stupidly overpowered or stupidly underpowered. That's an interesting dynamic, though, that you don't see in a lot of other games where, like, games will blatantly go out of their way to make sure that everyone has a level playing field. But with a game like Magic, it's almost like who, like, whoever, like, yeah, like, has the most money and is, like, the richest kid who can afford the most or whatever. Because, like, can you imagine, like, going into a chess tournament and being like, oh, like, this guy has, like, a set with three queens. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a very rare set. It's hard to get that one. Yeah. How was that fair? You know? Well, you know, you went on eBay and you found the three queen set for like yeah, right. Or this this guy's got the, the foil bishop. You know? Yeah, the holographic bishop. <laughs> yes, that's definitely a flaw in the strategic balance it's, of the game. It's literally sure. pay to win. Maybe. I I do yeah, like the that, idea that everybody. Like builds their own unique deck. That's pretty neat. But I would prefer if you like got to at least select from a set, you know, like, uh, like a set of cards that anybody could pick from. Yeah. So you kind of want like a fighting game. More or less. Essentially, like choose your character. Yeah, yeah. Pokemon's definitely, definitely not. Um, Play to win. I re- when I speak about Pokemon too, I uh, Pokemon also I should say. I'm really only speaking about the first 151. Anything after that kind of lost me. I'm a, I'm a purist, right? But uh, you know, depending on which version of the game you had, Red versus Blue, sure they were pretty even. But I think people argue that Red had just innately stronger Pokemon. Um, uh, some of like you know some of the wild ones you can find earlier on. I think red was an easier game, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it was blue. I, I, Wait, sorry, I, are you, you're talking about like the video games now, not TCG? Yeah, sorry, not the card yeah, game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, 
Sorry, Jordan. Oh, I was just going to say, I think red was harder to start because of like the early gyms. Um, so where I was kind of going with that, you were mentioning how it was kind of cool in Magic where you can kind of build your own deck and customize it. It's not unlike Pokemon, right? You had six slots on your team and you got to cho choose, like in Magic, you have the five different types of Magic, the different colors. In Pokemon, you have, you know, the, the different... 16 uh, types. Yeah, the, the different types, right? I think that's many. So again, you can kind of customize and strategize um, how you want it to play, like you know, putting enemies to sleep and then coming in and having like a flying attack that you know every other turn the opponent could attack you, and that was kind of your move. Um, again, you would find you had strengths and weaknesses, though, right? But, I mean, the first uh, generation of Pokemon is pretty broken as well. Like Alexander could just. You know, yeah, well, Psychic Pokemon in general were completely yeah. overpowered. But uh, Red and Blue actually had like a kind of hidden difficulty for the beginning, depending on your starter. Because the first yeah. two or three gyms, it's like if you choose Char Charmander, you have a disadvantage in the first two gyms. Yeah. Squirtle, you have a disadvantage on the second one, I guess. Yeah. And Bulbasaur, you have an advantage on both. Yep. Right. Yeah, Eric and I actually spoke about this uh, once upon a time. Eric and I uh, used to have a podcast, right? And we did mention that, you know, Bulbasaur was kind of like easy mode, Squirtle, Medium, and Charmander Hard, and sort of like your, you know, your struggle. It's, probably, it's not a struggle, but no, the way you go... Just get a manky or a Like, the more effort that you put in, the better the outcome. Like, I mean, Charizard was by far more powerful than the other two, like, third evolutions, right? Yeah. Blastoise is still better. <laughs> I think my first playthrough on Pokemon ever, I, I started with Squirtle. Yeah. I always, I always go for water, most of the time. Yeah, I've, I've yet to complete a Pokemon game all the way through. I've played like a very tiny bit of red. I think I only beat like the first two dungeon or dungeons, gyms. Um, I played a lot of um, Pokemon Stadium, but then uh, like even when you're doing the one player mode, um, you get to a point where you pretty much can't progress anymore on just like the um, like I can't remember what they call it in the game, like the trainer Pokemon or whatever. The rental Pokemon. The, the rental Pokemon, that's right, yeah. You, you you get to a point where it's like if you want to progress any further, you have to have Pokemon that you've trained yourself. And uh, I didn't have that, so <laughs> that was the end of my stadium career. <laughs> but I definitely saw the appeal of it. Hmm. Yeah, the whole aspect of giving, you know, the ability to customize your team so it has you know you can put your own sort of personality into it and like we were mentioning before with the magic cards it was a level playing field right because there weren't pokemon that you could buy sure there was some that you needed a friend to trade to get the final evolution and, you know different things like that but it was pretty well equal for everybody unless you got mew from one of the nintendo events or two hacks or whatever yeah yeah but yeah pokemon's a good one i'm surprised i didn't think about that like Coming into this, um, one of the one one game that really stands out in my mind is Mortal Kombat. Uh, mm -hmm. Prior to that, you know, it was all 
Mario, uh, a lot of platformers, right? And Paperboy, different things like that on the on the Super Nintendo, or sorry, on the regular Nintendo. And then when I played Mortal Kombat, I was like, you can have mature games. Like I was young, right? Like <laughs> eight, nine years old, and playing. I think Mortal Kombat Two was the first one that I played, and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Looking what? back at the first, like, three Mortal Kombat's, those fatalities are so goofy. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to what we have now. <laughs> they were kind of tongue-in-cheek with it, though, right? Because they started making friendships and vivalities yeah. uh, and stuff. Animalities. Like, we know we're cheesy. Let's just lean into it, right? <laughs> I feel like Mortal Kombat back in the day, like, it was such a crazy like graphical style it looked like super sick graphics even though like yeah. really they like it, it was kind of like a facade or whatever right like was it like it was pictures right it was animated yeah, like, it, like, digitized it, graphics yeah essentially used gifs because the snes couldn't or and the sega for that matter couldn't render uh as smoothly as they wanted it so they just got actors to do the moves they recorded yeah. it and then put those gifs essentially into the yeah. game yeah. Or in Goro's case, it was a stop-motion toy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mortal Kombat. I never played a lot of Mortal Kombat, but it always seemed like the game that the cool kids played. <laughs> it's uh, one of the things about it, too, was like, you know, you got the game, and then there were moves that they didn't tell you how to do. So you'd mm -hmm. around the playground or, like, the water cooler, if you were older, yeah. you were just like, hey, you know what this guy, if you press down, forward, low, punch, he shoots an ice block that like will freeze the character and you get a free shot at them. You didn't, think, you didn't know how to do any of the fatalities or anything. There was, you know, yeah, it was the just original Mortal hidden Kombat. codes. Sorry, what was that? It's just hidden codes. Yeah. yeah. You had a- To this day, says there's still secrets in MK2 mm. that no one's found. If you uh, could figure any of that stuff out, you had an advantage going into um, uh, uh, Batman Forever because it was like the exact same engine oh, and yeah. like the exact same movesets and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> the fighting game platformer. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I remember, I, that came out of training mode, right? In like the bat cave or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember, like my grandmother had that game and uh, I like that game was like really hard to me. And I remember like one day for hours sitting in the training mode. And I, I don't know if it was just me, but I feel like the controls were really like, I don't know, not inaccurate, but like it was just hard to pull off a lot of the special moves. Cause I remember sitting there with the manual looking at what I was supposed to do to like shoot up my bat bola or all these different things. Right. And I, like, I remember just like, it would take me like 20 minutes to like get like one fire off of a certain move or something. <laughs> Wait, do you actually have to do like quarter circle inputs and stuff like that to yeah, play the it, game? Yeah, it was it was it was exactly it was Mortal Kombat is is all it was just with That's like so Batman digitized. So like I would always play as Robin actually because I felt like Robin had like some of the more powerful attacks. He's got this one weapon that's literally just called a heat gun, and it just like fires like like fireballs at enemies. Basically, it takes off tons of damage, but it's it's like forward 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 back C for one attack. So like it it was a lot of training and like was murder on your thumbs but like and you're like I can understand how like you would have difficulty with it like if you're too slow or whatever because you had to like and and then to like 
pull off a chain of attacks. And it's just like, and that would, okay, I got off three shots and you killed him, but then, okay, that's one enemy out of a thousand. So yeah, it, it got to be a little bit frustrating in that regard. But that, again, that's just for like the special, you know, moves and stuff like that, which actually that game, um, I mean, we're talking about this game now, not that this was like an especially influential game on me, but um, it, it did have a, a, a neat system too, where it was like, um, at least, well, okay, I don't know what it was like on Super NES, but I played on Genesis. Um, and uh, it was neat how you had, you had all these moves, uh, like fighting moves and grapple moves and stuff like that. Um, but then um, each, like Batman and Robin also had like a couple of like slots empty on their utility belt. So at the beginning of every level, you got to like pick from like a list. So you could like customize what you were going into this level okay. with. It was really neat. And um, so, yeah, like you could like try out like different like combos and items and bat gadgets and stuff like that. And if you didn't like, you know, how like if you weren't good pulling it off or you didn't like the benefit that it gave you the next level you could just try something else it was, that was a, a novel aspect of it that mm. was a, set it a little bit apart from Mortal Kombat but by and large it, it was pretty it, it did feel like it was just a reskin almost except that they made it into like yeah like also a platformer it's such a weird choice you know came first um, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter because Street Fighter did it really? Um, I definitely played Street Fighter way after Mortal Kombat. But, you know, I was just speaking uh, to someone earlier today about, like, esports and how esports is just, like, you know, fill stadiums with people to play Tekken and stuff like that, right? Who would have seen that? If you had told me that we're going to have NFL-sized stadiums, maybe that's an exaggeration, but we're going to have arenas. <laughs> it's, with people. it's not, though. No, I, I definitely it's getting, it's getting there. But yeah, you know, that we're going to have thousands upon thousands of people watching Twitch. And just if you had told me that as a kid, I'd be like, there's no way. Because we're all trying to fight for a controller. There's no way I want to sit in my spare time and watch people. And now I'd much rather watch people than actually play a video game. Uh, I, as a younger brother, I sympathize. And I agree <laughs> with all the people who are like, no, I'll watch. <laughs> we uh, mentioned Good Guy Nintendo last week. And when Nintendo did that year of Luigi, where like they put out all the Luigi games, that was for all the younger brothers out there. <laughs> all of us got to be Luigi. <laughs> When's the year of Tails? Yeah, right. That's the true, that's the true younger brother experience. <laughs> you can't die. You do. You can't die. Sonic gets ahead of you. You're just off the screen. Just gonna yeah, win. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was brutal. And and you come in and like screw up the boss fight. Because Sonic's bouncing, yeah. you make the boss invincible at the wrong time, and Sonic's <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, another video, like another fighting game. Yeah, so obviously Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, I feel like, were the two OG fighting games. And I definitely always gravitated more towards Street Fighter. I just feel like I could pull off the moves better. And the way it was animated, I kind of, I was able to space myself out a little bit better. But I, I never really like got good at fighting games until I was an adult anyway. But there was another fighting game back then. Uh, I mean, there were many, but there was another one that had like kind of a neat graphical style, like Mortal Kombat. It was Primal, Primal, Primal Rage. Rage. Yeah. Dinosaurs. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're oh, like various yeah. dinosaurs, and there would be like little tiny humans at the bottom. That, like worship them. Yeah, or you could like <laughs> stomp them, and yeah. There's also a Killer Instinct. Uh, that oh was yeah, game. yeah, a Rareware game. Yeah. That I remember the very first time I ever saw that because my friend who was older than me brought it over to my house and like was just or no. This wasn't the first time I played it. I had like seen it once before. But I remember like watching this guy play it a few years later and like he knew how to do like, you know, ultimate combos and stuff like that with a few people. And just watching because you think like the combos in that game were crazy. Like you would start comboing, you would get to like 10 or 20 hits. And then it would like start accelerating from there. Yeah. It's just like, doo, 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 doo. and then ultra, you get to the end of just ultra, ultra, ultra. Ultra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was cool. The first time I saw that game, they had a demo at uh, Costco. Or, well, back in the day, well, at least in our neck of the woods, it used to be called Price Club. And they mm-hmm. would, like, I would see a lot of games for the first time there. Uh, Killer Instinct, and um, I remember seeing the first Virtua Fighter there, <laughs> and being like, "Whoa!" Like, I mean, it was extremely polygonal, but like again, for the time, like it was, it was like one of it was yeah, like the the most three D thing that I had seen up until that point. I'm not going to question why those characters jump twenty feet in the air. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> so we've been um, kind of jumping from game to game, just as sort of like the natural flow of the conversation has gone but if we're going to talk about like games that have really had a profound impact on you um i think for me personally and i know like this is obviously subjective and you can't ever remove 100 percent bias but i think there is a very very strong argument to be made that the single most influential game that's ever been made is super mario brothers like in, yeah. in my mind I always have considered that like the quintessential video game. I, I would personally, I, I mean, based just on my opinion and feelings, I mean, I would go with that one too. The other, the other two that come to mind, and I'm sure there could be tons, but the other two that come to mind are like Tetris and Pac-Man, but I just feel like Mario is more universal. He's Mr. Video Game. <laughs> there was also Pong and Space Invaders, right? For just like some of the groundbreaking ones. But yeah, for me personally, like our generation, I definitely agree with you, Jordan, that Mario was just a big one. Going back to, you know, five, six-year-old Rob, you had told me there's people that are going to beat this game in under five and a half minutes, and it's going to become a worldwide phenomenon, like Guinness World Book of Records. I probably wouldn't have been surprised because I was a pretty big Mario fan, but, you know, I never thought video games would turn out to be what they are. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you look at games like you just mentioned... Pong, Asteroids, Pac-Man, those games um, were super influential in like that they sort of perfected a specific like mechanic or an aspect of game. But I feel like Super Mario Brothers kind of changed the mold completely and set sort of the standard for what every video game was going to be after that. And even today, you can see a little bit of Super Mario Brothers in what, like, everything became that followed. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I mean, even just, uh, I I mean, I can't 
really speak too deeply upon that. I feel like it is true, but uh, like you could make a like the beginning of a 2D game or even a 3D game, like if you just put a couple of blocks in the certain correct positions, like almost everyone will think of the first level of Super Mario Brothers. Like it's just, yeah. it's just written into stone now. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, I guess, video game culture and the collective consciousness of gamers, it's about as iconic as it gets. It has, you know, one of the things as well is that Super Mario was like one of the first to the races, right? Like it was, at the time, video games were growing in popularity. There needed to be a the video game. Right, and Super Mario fit the bill on so many aspects. It appear it apply it. Sorry, it's uh, appealed to so many people, regardless of you know age, gender, race, what have you. Um, it was just you know the international game. In so many things in life, though, if you know if that first pit, for instance, Mario, how many people probably jumped the very first time playing Mario, didn't quite jump far enough, and died in that first pit. A lot of people and a lot of things in life, you give up. But in Mario, you wanted to jump over that pit. You wanted to get to that flag at the end. You wanted to hit the top of the flag and get the 2,000 points and some fireworks. It was, it drew you in. It was the game, right? Aside from like the experience of the game as a whole, like it's one of the most brilliantly designed first levels of a game ever in like how it teaches you to play the game. Yep. Like all of the mechanics are there and it's like very methodical and like progresses naturally and logically. And uh, every skill that you learn builds upon the next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how long does it people discover like, oh, you can go in pipes. You can go in pipes. <laughs> um, the first level, there's hidden blocks right away yep. that you can find. I saw something uh, online that um, like really um, dissected the first level um, quite in depth. And they were talking about how the first hidden one-up mushroom block is positioned in such a way intentionally that if that block wasn't there and you had jumped too early, you would have fallen into a pit. Or something oh. like that. Mm. So it's there to not only teach you about hidden blocks, but also to like save you, kind of. Also, one thing I always thought about that uh, that hidden one up is it's right to the left of the base of that mountain, like the hill, yeah. spot where you had a landmark. You could remember exactly where it was too, right? Yep. yep. There's an opportunity for every power up. There's the mushroom, the fire flower, uh, the star man. They're all there. Yeah, there's uh, like the like a block that turns into like a bunch of coins when you hit it. Yeah, the key power. Um, I I think the only two dynamic like sort of um, aspects of the game that aren't introduced in the first level would obviously be water. You don't really know how to work it in water, or do they even have water? The water level. Yeah, there's, there's water levels. Yeah, yeah. they're only water levels. Like you don't jump out of the water or anything. Right. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, so water and falling platforms. You don't have any falling platforms in the first no. uh, But when you go to the underground, then they teach you about those really quickly. <laughs> yeah. 
There's also, no, there's also more climbing. Yeah, springboards aren't until like World 5 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. There's no climbing either. The first springboard that they give you is to launch yourself at a flag, if I'm not mistaken. Like they don't throw it to you in the wild. They give it to you as like, here, practice. And then if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is in one of the like first couple worlds. Like one of the things I liked about that game, and there's a million things to like about that game, but it's how like uh, it's it's established right from the beginning that there's at the end there's going to be a staircase, and then there's going to be like an opportunity to like jump and try and get to the top of the flag, and like that the springboard was like one of the earlier sort of iterations on that where it was like oh you're gonna have to figure out how to use the springboard to jump up. And then I also remember at that same spot, like I I couldn't figure out how to use the springboard at first. I didn't realize that you had to press the button at a certain time. There's also like a hidden block to be able to jump up and get over top, which probably was like mercy for people who are springboard challenged. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I've got a kind of an embarrassing story about uh, Super Mario is that, um, like, I, well, I think it might have been, uh, it's possible I'm remembering this wrong, but if I am, I don't have any other memory of it. I, I think it might have been the first video game I ever played. And so, like, I obsessed over it, like, right away. But I didn't get my own NES for a while. So my experience was always limited to having to go over to friends' houses. Mm. And um, when I was at home... <laughs> I, uh, I had nothing but my imagination. So what I did was I took, uh, I had a, an empty shoe box. And so I drew that first World 1-1 scene inside the shoe box. And then on the inside of the lid, I drew like an NES controller. <laughs> and I would literally wow. pretend to play. <laughs> That's how far my obsession, I went with it. <laughs> I can remember drawing Mortal Kombat characters when I was, you know, like seven or eight years old. They were cool looking, like the ninjas, like Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Reptile. Like, again, I played the second one first. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool. I totally get you drawing the first level of Mario out. I, I made Mario Party boards of paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. And then they made Paper Mario just for you. Yeah, it's my favorite <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I remember one time in, um, I think it was like grade three or four, I was like bored in class and I would like draw like video game levels. I remember I was drawing a cave and I remember I was so proud of it because like every time like I would finish, you know, a room on one page and then I would like tape a piece of paper like onto it to like continue it. And I remember having this like huge, like a uh, bunch of like pieces of lined paper stuck together with, like with this cave that. I was imagining somebody going through. <laughs> I used to draw like um, on construction paper, like um, it it was like a board game, but I tried to make it like flow like a video game, and that's how like I imagined it too. I remember at one point I made a like a whole bunch of like I had like a big stack of construction paper like this thick of all of these like Sonic the Hedgehog levels, and I had it. Um, so that it was like you would get to a certain point um, where um, my ability to like conceptualize board games was pretty limited. 
So it was always like kind of a snakes and ladders type thing. You would just roll the dice and move how many spaces. But then uh, the, the, what I thought was the interesting mechanic was that you would get to certain spots where you would have to stop and roll the dice and whatever number that you rolled would determine a different pathway that you would branch off. Mm, so there okay. were like quicker or longer routes to get to the end of the level. And uh, then I also um, introduced, because I was like really into Sonic 2, and I loved like getting all the Chaos Emeralds and stuff like that. So I also introduced into some of the levels that I had special spaces that if you uh, landed on them, you got to go to the bonus stage. So your token was removed from the board and went to a whole separate board. And you would have to try to like get through it in a certain amount of turns. And if you did, you got an Emerald and then you would be like, placed back onto the original board. Stuff like that. I definitely miss back when I was a kid when I felt creative like that. You know, like there was no thought of like, how is this gonna turn into a career for me? Like, oh, this is stupid. Like, oh, I've seen this before. It was just like, yeah, just unbridled enthusiasm and feeling like you're really making something cool. Yeah, Yeah, it it all matters if you enjoyed it, not like, oh, can I make millions off of this? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like another thing too is that we start looking at it and comparing it to things in the past. Like, you know, now games play homage, as you mentioned, Jordan, to uh, Mario, and you can see little bits of Mario in games. You, but I can see myself designing a game and trying to be like, oh no, this is too much like uh, Link to the Past, or this is too much like X, right? Whereas as a kid, you didn't care if you completely ripped off a game. This was your <laughs> game. This yeah. Is what you wanted, right. Yeah. <laughs> Nario will be a success. I don't <laughs> care what you say. <laughs> I mean, they did make Wario, right? They didn't even yeah. try on that one. <laughs> you know, I was Jordan, thinking... Oh, sorry. sorry. I was going to say, you um, said that Mario was your first game that you... Probably the first game that you played. To, to my knowledge. I was going to ask that question. Like, if anyone can remember, like, what was the first video game you played? Mine was on the PC. It was King's Quest. You guys, mm. you guys ever played oh, it? King's Quest, this is this. I'm familiar with it, but... I ever played on, the, like, a video game. Nice. You, you know what the first computer game that I ever played was? Was Nibbles. Nibbles? <laughs> is that so, the snake game? It's, like, the original snake. Yeah, oh, it was... My uncle had um, a really old computer. It was... I don't know what operating system it was. I think it was even pre-Windows. And, um, yeah, he loaded it up, and I was, like, amazed at this, like, machine, like, I guess, because it's, it's, like, the most, like, primitive game, like, graphically that you can imagine, um, aside from, like, maybe the original Pong. Um, but even then, like, Pong, like, had some fluidity to it. This was, like, dick, 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 dick. Like, it was extremely archaic. Um... And yet I just remember being so impressed by it. And it was like, oh, that's cool. Like you just move your guy around and you keep getting longer and longer and like eating all the numbers as you went along. And uh, then I remember the same uncle later when he finally got a PC upgrade, he was he also was um, my introduction to Minesweeper, which mm-hmm. I was even more blown away by. And now it's like that game is a punchline kind of, but I still play Minesweeper all the time. <laughs> 
I never even figured out how to play Minesweeper and while I was an adult. Like, I just clicked. All I knew is I was going to click, and it was like a 50-50 shot if I was going to blow up or not. <laughs> there was some numbers, but I don't know what that means. Like, I'm just hoping for the big gap to open up. <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, like, I was mostly a console player, but, um, and like, as I mentioned, those computer games, like, it was always, like, at somebody else's house, but I had, uh, I didn't really get uh, a computer until, like, I had, I, w I had already had, like, three consoles or something like that, um, so, like, some of the first games that I played on a PC were on honestly on, like, the Windows 95 sampler, so I played a lot of, like, um, it came with this free game called Hover that I played a lot, and it was like um, sort of a 3D. It was like really bad 3D. It was very pixelated, um, but it was like you're in a hover car, and you were like driving through like mazes, and it was like a capture the flag type thing. So you're trying to find so many of your like opponent's flags before your opponents found all of your flags, and the positions of the flags were always randomized. So that was a lot of fun. And then I also remember like thinking like the first like 3D that, like really actually impressed me and it was originally lent to me by a friend because I've got a friend who's like a just a massive Star Wars fan and he lent me his copy of Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight and uh, that was really amazing that was like and again like looking at it now it's a little bit cringe like how blocky everything is um, but at the time like the um, the frame rate was like pretty high the motions were like smooth like the worlds were really fleshed out they were really really big worlds it wasn't like um you know like uh, i guess there are some levels in doom that get kind of big but like most of them you can like if you know if you can plan out the course you can get blow through some of them in a couple of minutes you couldn't really do that with dark forces 2 they were long long levels and it really felt like um like it, it was perfect for star wars because Star Wars is such like a huge universe and like, you know, however many, like countless planets and civilizations and species and everything like that. And uh, the game was designed in a way that made you feel like uh, you were really, really in there on all the different power-ups and everything. And I'm not sure, I, it probably wasn't, you know, now that I think about it, yeah, there were even like some old Atari 2600 games where you would like, simulated like a lightsaber so it wasn't the first game where you could use a lightsaber but it was probably the first one where it felt like realistic did you guys ever play knights of the old republic speaking of star wars no i've heard it's like a super ultra classic game like it's supposed to be amazing but i've never played I, it i'd love for you guys to play it so i won't give any spoilers but um I would say that has one of the like one of my favorite uh, storylines of all time. At the end, when it all wraps up and you get what the full story is, I remember sitting back and being like, "I just played a Star Wars movie. Like, I was so <laughs> obsessed with it." We touched on um, Metal Gear Solid last week and how how you you know reacted to Psycho Mantis determined the ending of the game. Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic's an RPG, right? So you again could choose the light or the dark side and similar to Pokemon, the dark side gave you more power up front, but in the end, the light side's more powerful, but you would struggle. It's, it's harder to go like, you know, to use the light side. Um, yeah, and just the open-endedness of uh, Knights of the Old Republic was great. That was, 
I think what opened up video games for me was Grand Theft Auto 3. Like, I think we both, we have all played, you know, Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2, the overhead view, etc. When I saw Grand Theft Auto 3, and you could just play the game, or you could just run around and beat people with baseball bats and drive cars off cliffs. Like, it was, it blew my mind that I could just not play a video game and have fun not playing a video game um, and, like, completing missions. I remember going to a, uh, a computer store and asking the guy, is there any other game that, like, you know, is as open-ended as... Uh, Grand Theft Auto 3, and he's just like, nah, man, that's like a one-of-a-kind game. I'm not sure if it necessarily invented the sandbox genre, but it was certainly the one that, like, introduced everybody to it. It Everybody played it. Yeah, definitely. Paved the way for me. Um, Morrowind, I I played a little bit, but Oblivion, and then definitely Skyrim. Um, Just, again, the open-endedness, Red Dead Redemption also. What, what you were saying about KOTOR and, like, the light dark side, mm-hmm. I think that also, like, going back to Dark Forces 2 was, like, the first example I can think of in a game where you actually had, like, mid-game a decision that influenced your abilities for the rest. Like, you got to, yeah, depending on your behavior, you would lean to the light, you would lean to the dark, but then eventually you were asked, like, to decide which alignment you really wanted to go for. And then that would, uh, so, like, to start, um, like you would, you would learn, uh, like as your grasp of the force grew, you would learn like the neutral force powers, but then when you could learn alignment powers, if you wanted to, you could choose, um, uh, like your aptitude in a mix of light and dark, but then, yeah, you were faced with having to go like solely light or dark. And, uh, that was really interesting because kind of like, well, I like being able to heal, but I also like choking people. <laughs> so, I don't know. When I had the opportunity in KOTOR to choose the light or the dark side, like, you know, make that first, uh, like, dialogue selection, and it shows, you know, you can speak rudely to someone, you know that that's going to be, like, a paragon uh, or renegade, like, some, you know, sort of on the dark side. And when I started looking at the force powers, and I was like, force lightning, dark side, right here. As soon as I could <laughs> force lightning at people, I was like, this is awesome. This is what I've always wanted. <laughs> yeah, like, how many times can you play the villain? Like, when you get the chance, fuck it, go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that reminds me of something. Um, Rob, I think last week, because you also brought up KOTOR last week. Yeah, and you, you said something... Um, to the effect of like the reason why I do that is because I can't do it in real life. Right. And it, it got me thinking if if I'm like that with any games and I realized that there is one thing. I'm not sure why this is or or if this says something about me, but anytime when you're given a choice of gender, I always go female. No. Purely because it's like I'm a cis white male. So if I can be something not that, why wouldn't I? And it doesn't necessarily impact the gameplay. In fact, it usually doesn't. Um, unless, like, in a case like, uh, I don't know, Enter the Matrix, for example. If you can choose between Niobe or, uh, or Ghost, they're literally different missions. Um, but if you're just talking like, uh, like an MMO or something like that, um, where your gender doesn't affect anything and it's totally just cosmetic, I, I go female every time. 
it affects me when I go online and I'm like trying to hit on the one email <laughs> group and it turns out it's you behind the keyboard. <laughs> um, Do you like what you see? <laughs> hey, how you doing? I usually play Thanks, Trish. Male character situations. I choose the male character first, but if I replay the game, I will go through as a female character to see if like, you know, dialogue's different, to see if the opportunities are different. Um, a lot of the times it's not just like a few little dialogue changes, but you know, sometimes they add a little bit of a twist. There's other players, like other people like that. I know uh, Aaron from Game Grumps, uh, Jordan is like that. He always chooses female characters. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything to that. That's you know, just uh, your style of gaming. Like in RPGs, if I give the, if I have the option, I'm always like stealth assassin with uh, arrows, like stealth arrow. That's mm. always the way I go. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There is something like I think that the um, uh, this is a stereotype, but um, it seems to be how it's presented in video games, particularly when you get that choice. Is that like if you go male, then it's always like you're the bigger character, and the trade-offs are that you're slow but you're strong, and then if you're female, you're like tinier and more like lithe, agile but you're weaker, but you're maybe quicker on your feet and stuff like that. Um, but so like when I, when I choose female though, I think it really is just a cosmetic thing. It's not even about like, oh, like I just really like the feminine aspect because like my, my favorite game franchise of all time is God of War. And when you're playing as Kratos, like you, you never feel more masculine playing any game. And I absolutely love that. But, uh, it's it's strange though. Like I, I have to, now I have to wonder, what if God of War gave you the choice? What if you could play as a female Kratos? Now I'm not really sure what I would go for. It might be a turn on. <laughs> and do I want that? <laughs> I have enough on my plate as it is. <laughs> Thinking about some Kratos thing. So I'll go back and uh, mention. I believe. Like, I definitely remember playing Super Mario Bros. early on, or, like, seeing it at my cousin's house. But I think the first game I played was my grandmother got a computer, and she was, like, I was pretty young, and she was trying to just, like, just, like, show me, show me what was going on, right? Like, get me, get me started early or whatever. And I remember playing, like, it was called Blockbuster, and it was just, like, the game where... You have the little platform that oh, you can back and forth and you're bouncing the ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are a million games like that. Breakout, Arkanoid, yeah, lots yeah. of them. Yeah, and I, like, I love those games still to this day. Like, it's just very satisfying watching the bricks disappear one at a time. I remember um, in the the Wii, uh, like, Wario, the WarioWare game that was on the Wii, I can't remember what it was called. Smooth but moves. Yeah, there was like a there was like a side mode that was like the tower of something, and it was like an infinite like blockbuster tower uh, or whatever. And I just remember that, that was like super cool. I was into that, but um, so uh, the two games that ignited my love of RPGs like early, um, really without even realizing it. But like I definitely fell in love with both of them right away, and I borrowed both of them from my friend down the street randomly, who was one pretty lucky to own these games, but also two pretty nice to lend them to me. 
not that anybody knew this back in the day, but Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy One for the NES were like very mind blowing to me. Like you know, the, the RP just the the RPG elements with the battling and the you know buying weapons and all this stuff. Like I, it just synced with me right away. Um, but then even when we're talking about the thing of like giving you choice in games and stuff, like Final Fantasy was was actually a huge game for that because you you picked your party like right off the bat. You could have like you could have four characters, right? And there was like fighter, thief, yeah. black mage, white mage, red mage, and uh, monk. I think it was or karate or something like that. Um, and I yeah, I definitely found that cool right away. Um, yeah, those games are super hard, but but super fun, and that's uh, that's like that's like old school in my in my video game influences. Uh, definitely, you know, Rob brought up Metal Gear Solid again. That was I don't know if that one like changed how I viewed gaming, but uh, like that, those games are just amazing. Mm-hmm. For sure, they were definitely the most cinematic of their time. Yeah, I mean, Metal Gear Kojima Solid flexing. Credits, right? The credits yeah. flashing on screen as you like swam in to the like underground warehouse. Yeah, yeah. Those, those things, they're so great, but they're so fucking goofy. What What about you, Matt? What were, do you like remember the first games that you played? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this will uh, once again show my age difference here. <laughs> Sonic 2. That's a good one. And again, as a little brother, I think I was playing as Tails. <laughs> <laughs> but even just as Tails, like that game, like, oh, those levels were so good. The multi-levels, like the tiers, like just all the shit you could do. Getting the Chaos Emeralds, like just... Yeah, Very colorful. Was, um, the colors, the music. The music was fantastic. The music was yeah. And that was when, like, Sonic was in his prime. So, like, when you finish playing Sonic 2, you can turn, tune into the cartoon. Yeah. Hey, is that Urkel? I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could get Sonic and Knuckles and replay Sonic 2. Yeah. Knuckles, right? The whole yeah, because like, my cousins well. had Sonic and Knuckles. And me and my brother had Sonic 2 and 3. So occasionally we'd borrow Sonic and Knuckles and just get more game. And that was, like, super cool. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's, you know, charge $15 and you get stuff. That reminds me of um, that episode of South Park where they're making fun of World of Warcraft. And uh, Randy is like, uh, uh, he's talking, he's like, Stan has been like playing all weekend. Like, you've been playing this video game enough. Shouldn't you go out and socialize with your friends? He's like, I am socializing. <laughs> that's like, but that's like a perfect example of like video games literally bringing people together. <laughs> I had friends in my, uh, well, I, I'm sure we've all, you know, heard of these people. Uh, one of my buddies, my first year of college, his roommate met his wife on WoW. Um, they were in like the same guild, started doing missions together, started chatting offline met each other, really got along, got engaged, and now they're married and they play WoW together still. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Video games, eh? They're playing WoW class now? Speaking of, like, MMO-style games, and this one did have a huge impact on me. I'm surprised I didn't even think of it till now. 
Pokemon Go. Like, that game's ridiculous. Like, I met a ton of people, like, in real life that are actually really cool people just from playing that game, just wandering the streets of Hamilton, man. Yeah, like, oh, God, I, when that was, like, huge, if you walked down the street with your phone out, cars would honk at you. Because <laughs> they knew what you were doing. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, I remember that was like the big moral panic of the time. It was like, you know, Mortal Kombat, oh, like violence of video games is going to turn everyone into a murderer. But then Pokemon Go comes along, and now the panic is, oh, like people are going to walk down manholes because they're not looking where they're going. <laughs> or they're going to walk right in front of traffic. And yeah. <laughs> won't somebody think of the children? So, some people were really stupid with that game. It's like, Oh, but the the Bulbasaur, he's in he's in the haunted house or whatever over there, the abandoned yeah. house. I gotta go there. Yeah, there was a lot oh. of like trespassing issues. Yeah, yeah. I remember oh, like they had to turn off the Pokestops around Area Fifty One. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that where you could find the unknown? <laughs> yeah, that's where Deoxys was. <laughs> Apparently, that planted the idea, though, whether they removed those or not, because you know, Area Fifty One. Did they have to postpone the plan to storm Area 51, or what happened to that? Oh, I think it happened, was... but just nobody showed up. It was like a couple dozen people or something. Oh. Yeah, that one dude, like, running Super Saiyan in the background. He, did, <laughs> he was doing the, the Naruto run? Yeah, it was Naruto. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, so, yeah, that is its own tale. That is a crazy story. So the guy who made the original Facebook post, he basically sold out. Because he originally partnered with a hotel, like a very small hotel in the small town that was near Area 51. But then he got a little nervous and some big company paid him out and he held a different little like event in Vegas. But then some other people were like, no, fuck that, we're going to do this. And so they did it on a separate day at the hotel. But only not that many people showed up. Which was good because the town couldn't handle that many people. <laughs> and yeah, obviously no, they didn't storm Area Fifty One. They would have been killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> if if they want to keep you out, they can keep you out. Like, it's a it's a government facility. They're not going to let people fucking until run into it. <laughs> I followed it on Reddit just because I liked all the memes that were coming out. Yeah, I had, like, you know, the memes are great. Find the anonymity of a keyboard. I was gonna storm Area Fifty One. I was dropping memes and like stupid comments. Oh yeah. <laughs> like the ongoing thing was like they can't stop us all. If there's thousands of us, they can, I'm like they absolutely can stop us all. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so Rob, you said to remind you of a, a question you had. Yeah. So <laughs> I call it the lobotomy question. I've asked it. Mm-hmm. Before, um, <laughs> in reference to like uh, a, a television series or a movie, but in this aspect, it would be a game. Video games probably where we're going to go, but a game into any kind of games, uh, it's up to you. If you could have a game wiped from your memory so you could experience it afresh, uh, this for either gameplay and or the storyline. Etc. So, like, you know, I've done it with television shows in the past. Mine would be Arrested Development. If I could see Arrested Development for the first time again, those jokes, man. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. That's a hard one. It is a tough one, eh? 
it, it's it's tough because it's not just um, going back in time. Because if if I went back in time and played it for the first time, I would have the same perspective, right? Yeah, so yeah. if I just played it for the first time, but now, would I enjoy it as much? That's a good question. Too is you know probably the game that you're going to end up choosing. Um, probably influenced a lot of the games that you played up until this point as well, right? So if you removed it from history, we'll just say that game's removed, not, you know, everything that's happened in between. Um, Unreal Tournament was a huge one for me. Mm -hmm. So I probably wouldn't have gotten to shooters if it wasn't for Unreal Tournament, right? So. So, Well, you know what? Okay, so I don't know if this is um, against the rules of the question, but I'll add a caveat. And uh, I'll say that uh, I would love to replay Ocarina of Time again for the first time, but if it was made now for the first mm-hmm. time. Because that's the thing. If I played that as an N64 game now, I'm not sure how impressed I would be with it. Because I've, I've talked about Ocarina of Time so, so much. But, I mean, I don't know. I guess, like, if we're talking about, if the discussion is games that had an influence on us and changed how we viewed games it would be disingenuous for me to not bring it up again um and we've we've talked on a, pa- a past podcast too about how like the you know a lot of people will criticize the graphical limitation and i always saw that as just like you know an opportunity for your imagination to fill in the gaps but again i still had that that bias that was coloring that opinion um so, like, I have to think about it now, like, probably the most, like, the most recent N64 game that I played that was new to me was Wave Race 64. I had never played that before, ever. So, playing it now, that experience to me was, you know, actually, come to think of it, it wasn't that bad. And it wasn't much of a stretch for me to be like, yeah, the graphics don't actually bother me. So, you know what? Maybe maybe it wouldn't be that big of a deal, even if it was still old N64 graphics. I think if I played Ocarina of Time for the first time today, I think I might still like it as much, to the extent that we can ever know that, right? There's something to be said about the graphics also contributing to just the general gameplay. Um, Some of the more modern Mortal Kombat games, for instance, like have these amazing graphics, 3D rendered. So in by today's standards, like, you know, top tier uh, graphics, but there's something about those older graphics that I like going back to. And I'm not talking about the, uh, you know, like the GameCube or not GameCube, uh, the N64 version like the mk4 i think it was that came out for 64 that was a harsh yeah. game that was really tough like the graphics were pretty bad but and the gameplay a little rough but um yeah i think that the graphics do contribute to the overall experience for sure you almost expect more of a game that looks better and when a game isn't as aesthetically pleasing you're just kind of like you take it for what it's worth a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like th- this. This question would be impossible for me to answer 
in general, except that I started realizing there are so many games that I've loved and that, you know, I've just spent a ton of time playing and I've been blown away by. But probably if I narrow my choice down to something where the story blew me away, mm-hmm. I can probably come up with an answer. And that feels like something that, that, that feels more in line with how I would actually probably make that choice. Because like, I guess that or maybe a game that was highly focused on puzzles, like you can't, you, you can experience the action mm-hmm. and you can get rusty and have to gain your skills again. Maybe certain puzzles you could rediscover, but it, it would be really hard to forget like the major plot points of the story. Sure. So in that essence, I don't know. I still don't know the game, honestly. I think I'm stuck on like four games right now. Games. Uh, Breath of the Wild. Because I think like part of it is like that puzzle aspect and just how open that world is. All the little things you can discover in every little nook and cranny. Like I just want to, I just want to find all that all over again. Mother 3, which technically I can't say I played. But <laughs> am I muted again? Nope. Nope. No? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so Mother 3. Which that one's based more off of its story. Like it's a cute looking game, tragic as fuck. Yeah. Tragic as all hell. <laughs> Unforgettable game. Um, oh, fucking Mario sixty four. Yeah. For the same reason as Ocarina, and Portal. Yeah, I was thinking about Portal earlier too. Mm-hmm. That was an extremely unique experience that except for Portal 2, I can't really think it's been replicated like anywhere else. Quite the closest thing that I can think of to like like um like a first person 3D puzzle game like that would be uh the Talos Principle. Mm. which was like different mechanics, but it was like stylistically extremely similar. Um, but that game traumatized me, so I don't really want to talk about it any more than that. <laughs> I like Eric's point about, you know, just the storyline and how it can mean so much. I Last week and earlier um, today, <clears throat> I mentioned uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Again, that's one of the best storylines I've ever witnessed. Another one that popped into my mind, and I'm surprised I haven't thought about this game in years, but the first Bioshock, uh, the mm. very first Bioshock, that storyline was pretty awesome. Did uh, you kind of? I've heard that. I never played the second one. The third one, again, Bioshock Infinite, that was a great game also. Mm. Well, the second one wasn't made by the same people. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so. It just released, uh, like, a... Uh... I don't know, like a remaster bundle of that for the Switch. I was thinking about buying it because, yeah, I, I heard that that game had an excellent story. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, I borrowed it off a friend once and I played, I don't know, an hour into it or something. And I just felt like at the time, like I couldn't get into it because it was the combat felt so repetitive. Like I would just run into a room and just have to clean up all the bad guys and rinse and repeat. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I played it for 360, the first Bioshock, and the first time you fight a big daddy, you're kind of like coming out of like one side of this 
sort of square area where it has like a big pillar in the middle so you can't see the other side of the room and you hear the big daddy so i was playing with one of my buddies and we were passing the controller back and forth like throughout the game you know checkpoints we'd switch and i don't remember which one of us was holding the controller you heard the big daddy and i was just kind of like or he was like okay your turn and i was like uh-uh. <laughs> you know we were like kind of like i don't want to fight whatever is making that noise like it's that kind of good of a game terrifying like, like doom 3 when it came out doom 3 scared the crap out of me i was in grade 12 when that came out. oh doom 3 yeah. <laughs> i definitely in high school played a lot of what was um uh known uh colloquially as doom 95 like the uh the shareware version yeah. so it was only like the first uh, episode so it was like only 10 levels or something like that mm-hmm. but uh, and at the time it was um it was like one of the only games that you could like get away with like actually getting a copy of in class and so yeah it was one of those things you learned uh how to alt escape really quickly (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah i definitely played a ton of doom but it was just like i I would say that like that was one of like the most influential early 3d games but like really it was really only the environments that were 3d like everything else was just a 2d billboard honestly that's what makes 3d the most the z-axis yeah like you couldn't i guess well i guess uh later you didn't really have a y-axis in the first couple Doom. Right, yeah. Like, I mean, if you like later versions, it they like gave you, I guess, the ability to use mouse look. Yeah. But other than that, it was like, oh, there's an enemy way above me, so I'm just gonna have to point here and assume that the, the auto target is gonna know what to do. <laughs> yeah, because your bullet is just a vertical line. Yeah, yeah. But like, I remember, like, as far as like, uh, like how like 3D games, like, blew me away when it was like the first thing. So it was like. Again, you already mentioned like Super Mario 64, but um, like I had only really seen that game. Like there was a demo at Toys R Us that I thought was like really cool, but I, I was I never got to play. I was just watching other kids play it. And then I knew one other kid who was like the first kid in our school to like have an N64, which in those ga- which in those days meant that you were like rich or something. Um, and uh so that was cool but uh i remember being blown away by the graphics but i never got to like experience it for myself so like my version of that was like mario kart 64 mm-hmm. that was like the first like that i really got into a 3d world i think and uh was like so amazed by yeah again having that z axis that feeling of of being like not restricted or limited even though obviously you were but it felt like more freedom than you had any any you know any other game and plus like i you know it wasn't by any means the first racing game i'd ever played but i think it was the first racing game that i actually liked a Mm. lot of racing games were extremely primitive and i don't know just for some reason i didn't think were the least bit fun and i guess when you're able to more accurately simulate three dimensions it i don't know makes the experience more intuitive and for me that made it more enjoyable i guess for the 64 i actually got into diddy kong racing uh, mm. more so than mario kart just i guess 
you know, getting all the balloons, just the adventure. There was a little bit of like puzzle secret. There was that rocket you could take up to get the rooster, uh, who was like the fastest driver. Um, yeah, I don't. Drumstick. <laughs> My name's Drumstick. <laughs> it's funny. I'm Banjo. <laughs> you mentioning uh, these 3D games. What popped into my head after speaking about Doom and the 3D games was Wolfenstein 3D. Nothing 3D about that game, but I mean, no. that was definitely the first shooter I ever played. Mein Leben. <laughs> yeah. Mein Leben! Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I came up with an answer for mine. I think, honestly, like, I would have to go with Metal Gear Solid, thinking about it. Like, <laughs> There's a couple other games I could think of with really amazing stories, but that game is, like, not, like, the, oh, my God, that game, I mean, it has amazing gameplay, and there's a lot of awesome stuff about that game, but the the story, like, it's all built around that story and the characters and the atmosphere, and it just feels like every step along the way, something new and crazy is being revealed. Like, the character designs were just so cool, like, oh, man, yeah. I agree with you so much. Like, I've been trying to think this entire time. Like, I didn't have an answer to this question coming in. And I've been going through all the games that, like, I've played beginning to end, and I'm trying to find something other than Metal Gear Solid where I was so enraptured by the story as well as the gameplay and, like, you know, them melding. Like, I, I felt like I was Solid Snake, right? When he was getting, like, different calls on his calm from, and he's kind of, like, flirting a little bit. I was kind of like, yeah, you know, like a young teenager. Yeah, At the end, like, I wanted to save Meryl. Like, I, I was totally engulfed in the game. Oh, man. I remember, like, getting, get, like, uh, the part at almost the end of the game where, uh, God, that game just had such a strong feeling of, like, you were in, like, an 80s action movie or something like that. And, like, the drama just felt so real. They they sold it so incredibly well. The music helped a lot. That encounter theme. Yeah, yeah. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the sound when an enemy discovers you. Um, Everyone's cell phone notification in, like, 2006. <laughs> but, yeah, like, towards the end of the game where you've been like you've come to understand that you need to like program these three i don't remember the exacts but you, you're like programming these three key cards or whatever and that's gonna like shut down the metal gear which is your ultimate goal now you found out that these criminals have taken over this facility and this facility houses like a super weapon it's a metal gear and like they've fired it up and you gotta shut her down like you know only you can do it snake and i remember when i got there and I went to shut it down, and it actually turned it on. Like, that was, like, the big twist, is, like, they couldn't figure out how to get this thing turned on, so their only way to do it was to, like, make you do it. And I was just, like, so mind-blown. That was, like, really amazing. And then the night, and then the fight with Liquid on top of Metal Gear Rex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the fist fight, that thing is sweet, too. After, after yeah, you do it the first few times, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> gotta fight Metal Gear all over again. These cursed jeans. Mario 64 was a really good call. Like, the 64 was the first console I ever owned. Like, my relatives and friends all had like Super Nintendo, original Nintendo 3DO, um, Sega Genesis, etc. So, I played a lot of those, don't get me wrong, and you know, PC as well. Uh, when I got to 64, the first game I got was Mario 64. 
And it was the only game I had for about three months. Needless to say, I played that game till the cows came home, right? And I remember Eric mentioning that uh, playing or, or Majora's Mask that you probably used the uh, player's guide last mm -hmm. week. And I was trying to think, I don't think I've ever used a player's guide for a game, except for Mario 64 with the 120th star. I got 119. The last, the last Bowser world where you have to get the eight red coins, that yeah. was the last star. The last red coin under the right behind the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Months I, was, I had to go to the player's guy. That was definitely <laughs> my last one too, for sure. And like, yeah, when I found out that you could just turn the camera and it's sitting right there, I was like, oh, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the school bus and somebody had like coming home from grade six or yeah, it was like grade, grade four or five, whatever. And uh, somebody had the player's guide. So I'm like, can I see that for one moment, please? <laughs> Went to the back immediately. I was like, no way. Got off the bus, like ran to the N64. <laughs> it's not even your stop, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not even your house. Do you have an N64? <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, thinking about it again now, so like I went for Ocarina of Time because like that's my favorite game. So it just seemed like the obvious answer. And like, again, for like the story and uh, uh, just the general gameplay, how everything is structured and everything like that. Um, but uh, if I'm thinking like as a, like a pure artistic emotional experience, I'd have to say Journey. I would love to play that for the first time again. Like, and it, it was so like, and again, like to bring it back to like the main topic of like how games were influential, like that game did so much in like for making me feel like how a game doesn't need to be complex to be like really brilliantly designed and executed and like how, how how deep that it can be despite its subtleties and like minimalism and it like it might in some ways arguably be like one of the most beautiful games i've ever played yeah i i love that game i played through it's it on Steam. yeah i remember uh speaking of the graphics yeah they were unreal and like i remember the first time going through the scene where you're like sliding down the sand you're like circling around some kind of coliseum or something yeah and like the sun's coming through and like sparkling off the golden sand oh yeah that was awesome yeah. oh looks like we lost rob uh-oh rob he, he, he finish my i was gonna say he's gonna <laughs> find his console <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i just i just realized where the missing coin is <laughs> Hey, welcome back. Sorry about that. My there he power is. went out for like a split second. Oh, no. <laughs> My power went out three times this week. Or, well, since since last... Because uh, that's, that's why part of the reason why we recorded Thursday last week instead of Wednesday. But yeah, it was really strange. It just flickered for like not even a, like a, a split second. It just, the light flickered, and then you guys yeah. all froze, and I was like, Damn it! <laughs> and then time froze. We we all assumed that you had to run off and finish Mario sixty four or something. <laughs> yeah, you're speaking about journey. Uh, 
just before my internet cut out there. I'm not even familiar with the game, actually. Oh, uh, okay. So, like, it's, um, it's a game that I would highly recommend, not just because of how brilliant every aspect of it is. The gameplay is, like, minimalistic um, and very easy to pick up and play and have just a generally enjoyable experience. Um, but uh, the complexity like emerges out of the world and what it is that you're expected to do. It's one of those types of games where it's like, there's no real instruction given. You just dropped in this world and it's up to you to discover for yourself what to do and where to go. Kind but, of a game, like Minecraft or something like that, or? Well, no, it, it's interesting. It's, it's an entirely linear experience, but it's designed in such a way that that, linear aspect is totally invisible so you don't realize that you're being led along a path but it's it's still laid out for you and so you get to discover it on your own um and like all of the mechanics again there, there's no instruction whatsoever and so it's just sort of like well i guess i'll just start pushing buttons and find out what happens and there's not a, a lot of mechanics in the game so that's fairly easy to figure out what does what and how you can interact with things and so i mean true to the name of the game it really is just kind of all about that journey of figuring out everything kind of for yourself like taking one step after another and gradually getting closer to an end goal and you're not the way that it's designed is very clever in that you so there's no dialogue in addition to no uh, instruction, everything is told pictorially. So mm -hmm. it's always, right from the get-go, kind of subtly obvious what your objective is, but you're not necessarily sure why or where you're going or, or, or what you're gonna encounter along the way, what the purpose is. You don't even know who you are or where where you are or what the, the, the sort of like, uh, the, the structure of the mini goals along the way in order to get through one area in, in order to get to the next, but it all flows so naturally. And is, is it, it's sort of like, you know, laying breadcrumbs. So as long as you can just figure out, you know, okay, it's, it's obvious that I have to go here, but I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there, but then it becomes kind of obvious what to do once you get there, but it's still like enough freedom that you don't necessarily have to go for it. You can just sort of, you know, wander around and even backtrack a little bit if you want. And there's enough like sprinkling of like, like sort of side quests for lack of a better way of putting it, like not exactly quests or missions or anything like that, but just for like, just sort of for the, the sake of exploration itself, because the land is also fairly dense. And if nothing else, it's just so like visually beautiful that you just kind of feel compelled to want to explore every square inch. Hmm. I know you're a console guy. Is this for console? Uh, like specifically like is it PlayStation? It, or? Well, I think uh, Matt, you said uh, that it's it, now it on just, Steam. It just came out for Steam. Uh, originally it was on um, the PSN. Okay. And then, and then they released a physical uh, version on PS3. And um, if you got, like I got, I bought it on PSN originally. So when I got my PS4, I was able to uh, download for free the PS4 version as well. But uh, I believe yeah. um, 
So I believe Journey was made by the same person that made uh, like Flow and Flower. Flow and Flower, yeah. yeah. That game company. That game company. Yeah. Yeah, which like those, all of those games I feel like have become almost like uh, like study pieces. Like you'll see articles on them a lot talking about, you know, what they achieve and they, they, they were just different. Like, I mean, I only played Journey, but like it's just so like it's very immersive i feel like and it's like that's the whole thing is like you're just you're just there and it's a journey yeah it really is just a journey it's not it's, a it's not a super long game no it's not a big commitment if it's only like 2 hours even if you've never played it before it it wouldn't take you that long to get through it from beginning to end so even if you end up hating it you won't you won't have lost anything um, but like, yeah, that game company seems uh, like their their sort of mo is breaking down uh, games to like I don't know a it's more like a essential mechanic. level and just sort of exploring a singular idea, but like expressing it much more artistically. Hmm. It's interesting. Everything that they've done so far has been, yeah, had that sort of very minimalistic feel and aesthetic to it. And it's just sort of trying to like, I, I feel like they're trying to get back to basics, as it were, because some games, not that this makes them bad by any stretch, but they're so complicated yeah. and so involved. And uh, like games like Journey, it's like anybody, you just... Pick if you've never played a game before in your life, it still feels very intuitive. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like some games try and pack everything in, right? They try and give you action, mystery, uh, puzzles, etc. But it, it's you can tell that it's all forced together a little too much, right? I, I like the that indie idea of like just pick something and really do it well, right? If you're going to do one thing, do it really well. And I, I might also add, I think Journey very possibly has the best soundtrack of any game I've ever played. Oh, neat. It's extraordinary. <laughs> That's something that, like, I don't... It's funny, too. Um, like, you know, I play a few different instruments, and I'm listening to music all the time. For some reason, like, I never really pay too, too much attention to music and video games. Like, we mentioned oh. Sonic earlier. And, and like Mario 64, I can, you know, I can write that music out for you. Like I've listened to it so many times, right? Um, but yeah, I, couldn't, I don't think I'd be able to name like my favorite soundtrack for any video game, mm. if not Mario 64, I guess. Like, there's any number of games where it's like, oh, the music clearly enhances the experience. But Journey is one of only a handful of games I would say that it's essential to the emotional impact. Mm. It's funny because I don't even remember the music from Journey whatsoever. And it makes me think mm -hmm. of like what our teacher in college, Jeff, would always say about like sound in video games, how like if sound's doing its job really well, then you don't mm -hmm. notice it because you just, mm -hmm. everything feels normal. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, like if the sound were bad, it would be like jarring and out of place and like take you out of the experience. Right. Absolutely. Um, just another side thought when you talk about Journey I was trying to think like what other games would I even compare that to and the only thing I thought of was like Shadow of the Colossus 
mm-hmm. and the other games by Team uh, Team Ico. Team Ico, yeah. Just, like just for, I mean, there's a lot of things that are not the same, but the the atmosphere and the minimalism and just kind of the yeah the feeling of like every single thing in that world just sort of, sort of seems to be like breathing with life. Yeah, yeah. Which is like a kind of a feat in itself because. Uh, those games like also like feels like in a way very empty like you're just the sole person in a, a vast land completely isolated from everything else especially with um, shadow but uh the world feels feels alive and vibrant mm-hmm. for sure good good okay uh my timer says uh we're uh, again running down on minutes so um why don't we try to wrap this up is there anything else uh you want to make throw a stupid joke <laughs> go for it okay back to the lobotomy question uh i would erase sonic of six and just <laughs> not go back and play it <laughs> and then we'd all love sonic more than we do <laughs> yeah i mean video games like for us four specifically, but, you know, for so many people, like, such an influential part of our lives. Like, I spent so much of my time playing video games and, um, you know, like, did people know, right? Like, you know, back in the 80s, did they know the impact that video games were going to have, that it was going to become people's, like, livelihoods? I don't know. I I think a lot of people, even people that played games, had a suspicion it was just going to be a fad. Hmm. They yeah, they never really had anything like it before, right? And then, of course, there was the video game crash in 83. Yeah. So people, like, really had reason to believe that it really was over. And then Mario saved it. Want to loop right back into that, Mario won. <laughs> yeah. That beautiful gray box. <laughs> right on. Okay. Well, that seems like as good as a place as any to cap this off. So uh, thank you for joining us. Anybody who was watching or listening, we hope you enjoyed the time uh, together. Uh, And uh, again, we should probably get better at deciding on a topic for next week in advance so that I have something a little extra to say here because we once again don't know what we're going to be talking about next week, but hope it'll be cool. (laughs) (laughs) um, Again, thanks for watching or listening or however you were consuming this and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. See you. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in other affiliated projects, you can check out my blog at curseyoujordan.home.blog where I write about some more esoteric aspects of games that appeal to me. Or you can visit my channel at youtube.com slash user slash curseyoujordanshow where you'll find video game walkthroughs, commentaries, vlogs, and a video version of this podcast. Conversely, if you're currently watching the video but are interested in an audio-only version, you'll find that at anchor.fm slash superfuntime. The Superfuntime podcast thingy hour is produced by Jordan Rowmaker, Matt Frappa, and Eric McLennan. The opinions expressed are solely those of the individual. Thank you for listening.